podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. At the opening ceremony four years ago, Rio organisers said they were proud to be the first Olympic hosts in South America, despite the £11 billion cost. IOC President Thomas Bach predicted a great Games, despite protests and delays. Now, even before the next Summer Games starts, in just 180-odd days, that's according to that famous countdown clock at Team GB headquarters in central London, where we were again this week, the Olympic Park in Rio, though, is in ruins and dangerous, according to a judge. Why are we here again, and so soon? And the scenes are in total contrast to the current delight and joy of winning Youth Olympic gold, silver and bronze in Switzerland. This is Anything But Footy, your Olympic and Paralympic podcast. I'm John. And I'm Michael, and as John says, Team GB might have countdown clocks on the wall of HQ in London for Tokyo and Beijing, but they are currently in action in Switzerland. Yes, it's games time, and we'll have the latest on week one in Lausanne at the Winter Youth Olympics. And we'll stay with snow and ice for an historic British bobsleigh medal. We'll also bring you news on three retirements in the world of Olympic sport this week, and how UK sports legacy now includes... Lot cracking. I can't wait. If we miss your sport, tell us at anything but F on Twitter or message us on Insta and Facebook. And now it's Olympic and Paralympic year. Tell your friends about us. I met some people this week who said, oh, yeah, I'd listen to that. If only I'd known about it. So come on, spread the word. We are counting down to Tokyo 2020. All you have to do, subscribe to the podcast. Just tell them, subscribe to the podcast. Now, the Youth Olympics. A relatively new invention for the world's best athletes aged 15 to 18. Taking place at the moment, the 2020 Games, Winter Games, in Lausanne in Switzerland, amid backdrops of snowy mountains and bright blue skies. The first ever summer edition was in Singapore in 2010, the first Winter Games in Innsbruck, Austria in 2012. I think I was slightly distracted by something else going on in 2012. The sports programme is mainly based on that of the Olympic Games. Seven sports at Winter Games, 28 in the summer. And in addition, it includes exciting new sports, disciplines and formats, such as three-on-three ice hockey. And get this, mixed gender and mixed national Olympic committee events. So, in other words, you could be competing with someone from a different country on the same team. Very, very different. Also a series of educational activities with three areas of focus, protecting the athletes, working on performance and assisting the athletes outside the sport. So these 2020 Youth Olympic Winter Games are taking place in Lausanne. Some amazing scenery, as you, as we've said. And it, it, it's very much like its senior counterpart. It's beginning to get some Team GB success with five medals on day six of the fortnight of the Games. Yeah, it's interesting. And it looks like a Winter Olympic should look, as you say, the, the backdrops, um, the, the landscapes are exactly what you imagine in your head a Winter Olympics um, should look like. And it's no coincidence, really, that those medals have been won on day six, because the way the Winter Youth Olympics is set up, unlike the the Youth Olympics or the, the Winter Olympics or the Summer Olympics, rather, the, the senior versions, if you like. Competition doesn't necessarily unfold over 11, 12, 13, 14 days. They've broken it down into two weeks. So there'll be the first week, and that competition has now come to an end with five medalists for Team GP. And now we're entering the second phase of the competition. That will be the second week of competition. So we say congratulations on anything but footy to Max Stewart and Amy Robry, who have both won silver medals in that mixed country three 
three-on-three ice hockey that you talk about. Uh, also, Miriam Foy, uh, new at Neem, has also won bronze medals in that, again in the same event, the three-on-three ice hockey. And there's been a silver medal as well for Theo Collins, who was competing alongside athletes from Finland, Japan, and Poland. And he won his silver medal in that mixed con- country uh, sprint relay speed skating. That was the first Team GB medal won in Lausanne. And we've been at GB Snow Sport recently, and they have a very ambitious aim. They want to be a top five snow nation. That's what Dan Hunt, their performance director, has said by 2030. So within two cycles of the Winter Olympics. That is ambitious. That's not us saying that. That's Vicky Gosling, their CEO. That's Pat Sharples, one of the coaches at GB Snow Sport, saying that as well. But what we're seeing at this Youth Olympics is that next generation of snow and ice athletes in action are beginning to get those medals, and they're getting them, obviously, at a young age. We've got 16 sports, 70 nations, 28 Team GB athletes there, and a return of five medals from week one. And we hopefully will see something along the similar lines in week two when we get the the second phase of competition coming in. What I quite like about it as well is that the athletes are in the athletes' village, and they're not there all the time so in this second week we've got cross-country skiing freestyle skiing nordic combined short track speed skating ski jumping and bobsleigh as well with british duo charlotte longdon and william scammell in action again that mixed team um in 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 action there mixed gender team and i think what's really great is then that allows for the venues to not necessarily have everyone there at the same time so you don't have to build it as big and you can double up on venues as well can't you if you've got an arena it can be in a use for week one and in use for week two it's something maybe the the winter olympics and the summer olympics the senior versions can learn from a bit like what we were talking about last week with the commonwealth games it's not become this huge behemoth of a thing that you know to stage the youth olympics it is actually quite a clever way maybe something to think about for other people holding the events that you have this kind of um different way of of running the sport And also into that second week, uh, as you mentioned there, there was a a practice day. And I thought that was great because obviously it allows people to go and get used to the conditions and get ready for the next lot of sport. But it's great for journalists as well. You and I have both been to Rio and London covering the games. And, uh, you know, maybe it's, it's relentless. For three weeks, you are on your game all the time, every single day. And I just think maybe... It's something to bear in mind moving forward. It just gives someone having a day off. Yeah, and also the support staff because, you know, we put so much focus, don't we? on the the team that go to Olympic competition. But what about the team behind the team? And there's all the performance directors and the coaches, but there's always the press officers, there's the strength, the conditioning coaches, the physios, the chefs and everybody else. So, you know, I'm sure that 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 middle day wasn't a, a total day off for everybody. I'm sure things were happening, but it was quite a nice opportunity to reset. And I think that the Youth Olympics, if I know we're on anything but footy, the Olympic and Paralympic Sport Podcast, but if I can draw a parallel, if you like, with, with Academy Football, Academy football is not necessarily all about winning trophies, winning medals. It's about developing young footballers to make them the best prepared they can possibly be when they get into the first team. And I'm using that analogy because that is an analogy that lots of our listeners will recognise. And the Youth Olympics is exactly like that. So whereas 
I have read a few things this week and heard a few things going, it's a bit weird to be at an Olympic event where you've got, as I said there, with Theo Collins from Great Britain competing alongside someone from Finland, Japan and Poland, and you haven't quite got that kind of national following that you might get in, in the Olympic Games or the Winter Olympic Games in terms of the Summer and the Winter Senior Editions. What it is, though, it's about preparing someone like Theo Collins to hopefully take on his speed skating and become a better speed skater and be able to then repeat that kind of performance when he does get to Beijing in 2022 or he goes to Cortina in Italy in 2026 or wherever you know the 2030 2034 games might be held so it's all about development it's about developing you know young talented athletes and the bigger picture of course is we've got this real stated ambition to become a top five snow nation and we've got the likes of Billy Morgan and Katie Ormrod and James Woodsy Woods coming through in those freestyle and action sports. But we can't rely on them to win medals, can we? We have to look at people like Andrew Musgrave, cross-country skier, Dave Riding and the more traditional sort of alpine skiing. Those people need to weigh in with medals as well. And then if you add in, obviously, as we have done and seen in the past, bobsleigh, skeleton medals, curling medals as well, you can see how suddenly Team GB at Winter Olympics going forward might be moving up that leaderboard despite the fact we're in a country that's not naturally a snow and ice nation so it's interesting only europe has actually staged the youth winter olympic games so far innsbruck in 2012 lillehammer in 2016 in norway and now of course switzerland and this is great for the ioc that europe is doing these these are three key countries who've been part of the ioc from the very start and absolutely key to it going forward but it allows them to maintain that relationship with the olympics without having to stage the big summer games or the even bigger winter games um, not all the time and not every decade so i think it's great to see and hopefully they can use some of this moving forward because it brings us on to the other big story uh, of the week and the rio games and the sadness that four years on it's now in a place which we all feared it might be that there's just no way that it's going to be used as a sporting location the olympic park is being shut down on the orders of a judge despite all those promises from the rio organizers 430 miles of public network for water supply sanitation drainage electricity gas telecommunications 43 miles of new roads 250 square miles of pavements 11 miles of cycle paths 15,000 trees it was all going to be great for the people of rio But then actually what you then see as part of this legacy is the Olympic Park being shut down for being dangerous. Yeah, and I have to say, and we've spoken about this before, haven't we? It's not a a huge surprise, I don't think, is it to us? Because, you know, I can remember walking around that park. I can remember being surprised that it it wasn't glorious sunshine every day in Rio. It hadn't actually occurred to me that it was actually their winter. But it wasn't finished. It wasn't finished for the Olympic Games. You walked around some of those plazas and you would step on some of the bricks. And we've said this before, the rainwater that was sat between them because it hadn't been concreted into place, they would shoot up your your trouser legs. So, yeah, it's no surprise that it wasn't finished for that. There were serious, serious concerns um, about the Paralympic Games. And uh, we've used the expression, they got away with it. I think that's probably... As polite as we can be, they got away with hosting the Paralympics. So it's no surprise that this Brazilian judge has ordered the closure of the Olympic Park now over safety concerns. It has to be said that the fire authorities in Rio, uh, they say they have no concerns over it. But the judges recognise that lack of maintenance. And he's predicted, in his words, tragedies moving forward. And what it is shown and what it must show the IOC, and let's remember... 
Rio was 2016. The games were awarded to Rio in 2009. Rio in 2009 was a very different city. Brazil was a very different country to what it became in the subsequent seven years. Politically, economically as well. London had issues between it being awarded a Games in 2005 and it hosting a Games in 2012. It had issues not just about security, as we were talking about this week with, you know, the, the bombings on the London Underground and just a day after the awarding of the Games, but also London hosted a Games after the credit crunch and after the economic crisis. And that hugely affected the, the Rio and the Brazil that bid to host the Games and the Rio and the Brazil that actually got to host the Games. And That was one of the huge issues, was essentially the money that they thought was going to be there didn't emerge to be there. You know, as you said there right in your start, £11 billion to host that that Rio Olympics. There was always controversy about the legacy and what would happen on that that area of land that they, they transformed into that Olympic Park. And I can remember walking around and looking at some of those venues, that velodrome, the tennis centre, the diving pool, the the karaoke arenas. There was three of them next to each other. You know, all those big events. I know that the, the aquatic centre was more of a temporary venue, but you had to walk around there and had to wonder what is the future for this. You know, is Rio going to host another tennis event? that needs all of these tennis courts and a stadium like the one we saw Andy Murray win a gold medal in. It was always on the cards, and it is a a huge thing for the IOC, and that is why they've gone for these safe options of Paris and Los Angeles, because that gives them some breathing space in terms of the world economy picking up, potentially, and also then it gives them some breathing space because they've got a couple of safe bets and you would hope that Los Angeles, who are hosting the Games again, and Paris, who are hosting the Games again, third times like it was for London, will have a better and more considered plan in place, like London did, for what happens next. What happens when the flame is extinguished, the flags come down, and we head home? Such a shame that the fears that Rio will end up like Athens, that that Olympic Park remains overrun and in ruins, and from 2004 seem very well-founded. Very, very sad. Now... We are the only Olympic and Paralympic podcast counting down to Tokyo 2020. But we're not the only sports podcast. Superpod 2020, raising money for sport relief. Two days of great comedy and sporting podcasts. Desert Island Dicks. First and ten. Sportspiel. Anything but footy. The Dredgeland Podcast Spectacular. And more. Saturday 7th and Sunday 8th of March at The Social in Southampton. And you can be there too. Free entry until 7pm and then ticket only from 7pm. Tickets available now at superpod.co.uk. If you can't be in Southampton, the whole event will be streamed live online on your smart speaker and on Facebook Live. Find Superpod UK on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and use the hashtag Superpod2020. For more information, visit superpod.co.uk. And we're really looking forward to this. Weekend of March 7th and 8th, Saturday, 
It's the free Saturday bit. Saturday evening in we're the in social. We're in the free bit. All the details, superpod.co.uk. Superpod.co.uk. This is Anything But Footy, your Olympic and Paralympic podcast. And one million views in four days. Not the latest YouTube sensation, or our latest Anything But Footy pod, unfortunately. But the latest video from Sport England, aiming to show women and girls in particular that they can do sport, no matter what time of the month it is. This Girl Can campaign has been a huge success since first launching five years ago. And from us, a huge congratulations to CEO Tim Hollingsworth and his entire team at Sport England for continuing to break boundaries that usually a government agency would steer well clear of. Sport England's job is to get as many people playing sport, getting active, getting off the sofa, moving their backsides. Amazingly, still twice as many men take part in sport than women. And that is a stat that actually depresses me. Now, it's the focus of our first episode in season two of Great British Bosses podcast. That's out from anything but footy this week. And when we caught up with Tim, when we went to central London, he told us why they had to do the This Girl Can campaign again. What I would like people to hear and think is that I suspect may have held it myself that historically sports councils generally in Sport England have seen that have been seen to be rather cautious and risk averse and and rather you know sort of uh, public sector for want of a better way of putting it in an outlook we are very much a public sector body but I'd like the reaction to this advert to be more symptomatic of people's views of what we think our role is which is to try and help to develop an environment where everyone feels they have the right to be active and where more importantly we're not afraid of challenging the barriers to entry that exist. I do think it's a game changer and for a government agency an arm's length government agency I think it's it's a very brave campaign and you know it shouldn't be a brave campaign but you just don't see tv adverts with tampon strings and that's what we've got here we've got a glossy promo video which is aimed of course at that 40 percent of women aged 16 and over who are not active now 75 percent of women are saying that they want to do more physical activity but there are barriers and there are judgments in their way and funding is now available and go to the website thisgirlcan.co.uk to try and see how maybe your organisation, if you're listening to us, might be able to tackle this. But there is a huge gender gap in sport and I do believe that this is a really brave uh, campaign and it's five years on from the original one the idea of course to show women of all shapes sizes and abilities and backgrounds and we need to see more relatable images don't we it's all well and good having some fantastic role models and it's been great to see people like dina asher smith and others share this on social media but the fact is most of the people watching this video thinking they need to be a bit more active are not going to be world championship medalists over 200 meters they are not dina asher smith so this idea that we can put this video together and we can stick it on in the middle of love island and we can show tampon strings and we can show all the other things that is the reality of women doing sport is absolutely fantastic and i sit here and you know this is a something again you're going to hear in that interview with tim on great british bosses i sit here as one of two men doing a podcast and i'm well aware that people listening to this, women listening to this might might say, well, you two aren't the right two to be commenting on this. But, you know, I absolutely applaud the campaign by Sport England. As I said, the funding is now available as well. And I think it's a terrific, terrific campaign. And hopefully it will help bridge that gender gap. And hopefully it will get some of those women that, for whatever reason, 
body shape, whether they're having their period that time, whatever the reason that they are not getting out and doing sport, which is just such a fantastic social activity. It's a great thing to do to get healthy, to meet people, to have friends. It's good for mental health. There's so many positives to doing sport or physical activity that it's such a shame, isn't it, that there are these barriers, whatever those barriers are, why people aren't doing it. And I think we've got to remember, this is one million views in four days. Four days. They haven't even started spending the money yet to add advertise it elsewhere and i think that's the key thing so it's great as you say to make sure that the athletes are retweeting it and sharing it on facebook and twitter on instagram but actually what you need to do to reach people who aren't necessarily active because i guarantee that if people are listening to this they're probably someone who might go to the gym they might not think they're particularly sporty but they will be sportier than the person three doors down they will be better at getting off their backsides than someone across the road. I guarantee that. But what we've got to do is reach the people who aren't standing off their sofa, who are sitting and watching sport but not getting involved themselves. And somehow we have to do that. And I think that's what we've got to do. And I would encourage all of you guys to retweet, share and make sure that you see this video and you share it with other people because that's a way of getting to people who not necessarily are just followers of Dina Asher-Smith. If you're a Dina Asher-Smith follower on Twitter or Insta or whatever, you're probably going to be a sports person. You're probably going to the gym at least once a week. But we've got to reach the people who aren't doing that. So please, please, please make sure you see that and share that as, as best you can. Yeah, and as I said, there is some funding available if you want to start a group or you've got an initiative which you think might be able to help this. The website is www.thisgirlcan.co.uk. You're listening to Anything But Footy, the Olympic and Paralympic Sport Podcast. Another terrific result for British bobsleigh to bring you now. Brad Hall and Greg Cackett have made history winning the two-man bobsleigh World Cup silver medal in Austria. It was just their third race together. It's the first time Great Britain have won a medal in this event. And last week, they were 18 hundredths of a second outside the medals, as we told you in our previous edition in La Plana. Now, Brad Hall is a former decathlete. Greg Cackett is backsliding after a brief switch to cycling following the last Olympics. But Bobsleigh, who have had their issues, of course, over funding and losing their funding, seems to be going very much in the right direction as we head towards Beijing 2022. Congratulations to one of the biggest names in British coaching, Malcolm Arnold, who's been awarded the top honour from the International Olympic Committee. The IOC Coaches Lifetime Achievement Awards recognises a great coach, participated in at least one edition of the Olympic Games and supported athletes on the road to their sporting dreams. Colin Jackson's former coach trained athletes from all around the world over a career that spanned almost 60 years until he retired in 2016. He began his career as a PE teacher before heading to Uganda to become the head coach of the Athletics Federation there and he led John Akibua to African history by becoming Africa's first Olympic champion at Munich in 1972. Malcolm then headed to Welsh Athletics, obviously Colin Jackson and British Athletics as well and Jason Gardner, one of his team, won gold in the men's 4x100 metres relay in Athens. A huge congrats again to Malcolm Arnold. Three high profile retirements from the world of Olympic sport this week. Nathan Bailey, the two-time British trampoline champion and Rio Olympian, has announced his retirement from competitive trampolining after 22 years on the circuit. In rowing, Will Fletcher is moving into coaching after a 10-year career. He won a silver and a bronze at the World Championships and competed in Rio in the lightweight men's double skulls. And Amy Tinkler has retired from gymnastics aged 20. She won the Olympic bronze medal with 
her floor routine. Age just 16, the youngest member of Team GB in Rio, of course. She has been injured for a significant period of time since the last Olympics. Clearly, for Amy, I suspect, it's reached a point with her where she knew that Tokyo was not realistic. And at 24... Paris, of course, the next edition of the Olympic Games, 24 years of age. That's actually quite old for an athlete. I think the likes of Beth Tweddle, the exception rather than the rule. So she probably felt Paris was unlikely. So at the age of 20, which seems alarmingly young to retire from a sport, she obviously has had to sit down and think about her future and what her future holds. But, you know, fantastic memories from Rio uh, with County Durham gymnast Amy Tinkler winning that bronze medal. And we wish all those three who have announced their retirement from Olympic sport this week the very best of luck and I absolutely remember meeting Amy's mum and dad while in Rio they were so proud of her she was 16 as you say uh, and the British girls who were and what they were achieving out there so really good luck to her and her future career because wow starting from afresh something brand new from the age of 20 and I think that's that's what she has to do because I think you know had she tried to sort of cling on as I said Paris was unlikely Tokyo seemingly unrealistic you have to make a point and you have to make a decision don't you and and 20 years of age you know she's got a whole life pretty much ahead of her still she can go on and achieve anything she wants to achieve whether that is giving back to her sport giving back to gymnastics or a completely different career change that's obviously the thinking behind it. British Airways has been named as Team GB and ParaGB's official airline partner for the Tokyo 2020 Games this summer. It'll fly hundreds of athletes and support team, plus equipment to and from Tokyo. British Airways have been supporting British Olympic athletes for over a decade since the Beijing 2008 Games. And Team GB have also announced a Yoma Treehouse in central Tokyo will be the location for Team GB House, which hosts athletes, sponsors, guests during the fortnight of the Summer Games. It's a short walk from the 2020 Stadium, which hosts athletics and the opening and closing ceremonies so good news for team gb and do you think they'll invite us do you think they'll invite us this time around to see their house let's hope so let's hope so if you're listening team gb we would happily come round and, and share a volavant with you one evening in rugby union news simon amor who led team gb's rugby sevens program will join eddie jones now in the 15 setup as his attack coach. Now, Simon Amor led the men to Rio 2016 silver. He will link up with Jones for the Six Nations, which is on the horizon now. And then he will return to the Sevens programme to take the men's and the women's team through the Tokyo Games. And then he will then link up and join the 15s full time. The first hockey matches of the year for Great Britain take place in February and 44 men and women will be heading down under for the opening pro league matches against Australia and New Zealand. Mark Hager, coach of the Olympic defending champions, Great British women, has left Alex Danson back at home following her return to the programme following illness. That's not a huge surprise, but 18 of the 22 strong squad helped Britain book their place in Tokyo in November and Holly Pern-Webb is the captain for the women. Rupert Shipley is in line to make his British debut, having been called up for the first time for the men's team and he joins fellow Welsh international Jacob Draper who's recently been handed a full-time place in that men's programme. In cycling, the 2020 routes have been revealed this week for the next edition of the Tour de Yorkshire. Butter Tubs and Grinton Moore Climbs make their Tour de Yorkshire debut. You might remember they featured in the Tour de France Grand Depart back in 2014. Both were actually part of the Road World Championship event that uh, Yorkshire held in 2019, but they were actually cut because of the bad weather. 
This is the sixth edition of the Tour de Yorkshire. Stage one, Beverly to Redcar via Whitby, 176.5 kilometres. Stage two for the men and stage one for the women, 124 kilometres, Skipton to Leyburn. And over those 124 kilometres, those two aforementioned climbs. Stage three for the men, stage two, the final stage for the women, of course, on the Saturday, Barnsley uh, to Huddersfield. It will be slightly shorter for the women than it will be for the men. And stage four, Halifax to Leeds, 177 Point five kilometers. Uh, that's for the men. The climbs include the Cow and Calf, Otley, Chevin, and Greenhow Hill. And it's a big year for the Tour de Yorkshire as well. It's the final year of their current contract between Welcome to Yorkshire, the agency, and the ASO, who, of course, co-organise the event and are involved with the Tour de France. Welcome to Yorkshire, as we know, has a new CEO, a guy called James Mason, a former broadcaster, had a role, of course, with Bradford City Football Club as well. And he knows, he's come into Welcome to Yorkshire, that he, he knows that he has to make this event sustainable. The money, if you like, is not uh, as plentiful as it was in the previous days at Welcome to Yorkshire. They've had a very difficult year, so he will see how this event goes. He will essentially see, I think, how it adds up uh, before they talk about committing to further editions. So it could be the final ever edition of the Tour de Yorkshire. I hope it's not. I hope it does add up, and I hope James Mason and the, the excellent team at Welcome to Yorkshire can continue it. The British Skateboarding National Championships will be held in Manchester on the 28th to 29th of March. The two-day event of two disciplines, street and park, will form one of a series of Olympic qualifying events on the lead-up to the Summer Games, where skateboarding is making its debut, and skateboarders will be competing in Manchester for qualification points and cash prizes. Now, the moment you've all been waiting for, we all know that Michael's often flushed with success, but on his return home from working with UK Sport this week, it seems he nearly ended up... Literally going down the pan. Yes. Uh, what what happened? <laughs> well, I had a very pleasant couple of days this week um, in London with you. And we, we went round and we recorded some uh, interviews for our next series of Great British Bosses. And we had some very productive meetings and we spoke to some Olympians and some coaching staff and some former Olympians doing lots of good work uh, all on behalf of the Anything But Footy podcast. Anyway, I'm heading north up the M1. It's quite late by this time. I go into the service station, I get my fuel, and I decide to nip for a comfort break. I believe that's the most pleasant way of putting it. (laughs) I came out from my comfort break to find the service station all locked up. (laughs) I was was locked, (laughs) Macaulay Culkin style, home alone, in a service station. And I was thinking... So what did you do? Well... Well, at first I kind of just wandered around aimlessly thinking, well, you know, there's some prawn and mayonnaise sandwiches over there. There's plenty of Chris. I can pop that high vis on, Um, you know, check out that screwdriver set if I need some new screwdrivers. But then the reality hit me that I was halfway home and there was nobody else in the service station. Um, And then out the corner of my eye, I saw one of the people that was working in the service station outside. So I was banging on the glass to try and get their attention. And eventually they, they did hear me and the guy came back in. He was obviously doing his rounds, closing down the petrol pumps. And he, he hadn't seen me go to the toilet, hadn't realised that I was still in there. And if I hadn't seen him, I hadn't just caught him out the corner of my eye, I could have been there all night. You would have slept at a service station in the service. The only person there. I mean, oh, unbelievable. Well, this is anything. We're glad you came out, Michael. We're glad we, we, I'm, I am too. We, I am we too. were glad he, he was there for you. Now, this is. It even turned off the coffee machines. <laughs> this is anything but footy. Get in touch with us the usual ways at 
anything but F on Twitter or on Facebook or Insta. Subscribe to the podcast and tell a friend we're all over 2020 Olympic and Paralympic sport. Four years ago was all about Rio. Now it's Tokyo's time. But let's hope for some more sustainable sports venues and legacy than the Olympic three-week carnival. Podcast Network.